Welcome to this week's edition of Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, there was an announcement made um, uh, this past month that really was underreported. I think it was a significant announcement that few people understood. And that announcement was uh, the announcement by BioVectra in cooperation with the various levels of government to uh, develop a manufacturing unit um, in PEI that would produce uh, mRNA vaccines in Atlantic Canada. Uh, this is big news for a couple of reasons. First of all, that it's being done in Atlantic Canada. Normally, we don't get the opportunity to participate in these kinds of uh, national events. And uh, it, it also really uh, addresses the insecurity of uh, critical supply networks uh, to produce uh, these kinds of medicines in Canada, which, as we saw in the early part of the pandemic, was a real problem. We had to wait for other people to send us vaccines so before we could start vaccinating Canadians. This is uh, one of a, a couple of announcements across Canada where Canada will repatriate their, its ability to produce its own me- medicines. So it's a big news story, and no matter how you cover it, but uh, it really got very little play. And I think it, that's why um, we thought that it's important uh, to follow that announcement up with an interview with the CEO of ViaVectra, uh, Oliver uh, Technow. And uh, it turns out to be a very insightful um, conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed that and you had a great conversation with him. Uh, yeah, I've been following this now ever since the onset of COVID-19. The federal government has made major investments in vaccine capacity from BC all the way to Montreal, but this region had got nothing uh, on on uh, enhancing our ability not only to do vaccine work, but also research related to it. Uh, and so I was grumbling about it. I have been grumbling about it. And so when we interviewed uh, uh, the head of the Bio Alliance here, you and I, uh, uh, he told us to, to stay tuned. And of course, a few weeks later, we heard the announcement. So that was really great news. I'm not sure why it's not considered a bigger deal here. I think maybe the media is just preoccupied with other things. But you're right. This is a major, major investment in uh, it takes our particularly Prince Edward Island, but it takes the biosciences sector to another level level on PEI, and I would argue across Atlantic Canada. And and that industry is growing very strongly across the world uh, as people age, as there's a need for better health care, new technologies, new medicines, new vaccines, and we need our share of that action. And this is a really good example of how this region can compete and win in that area. Yeah, so this is a 80 million public-private investment Uh, the company's uh, investing a lot of its own money in this uh, uh, new state-of-the-art vaccine mis- facility that will be located in PEI. But at the same time, uh, BioVectra has a facility in Windsor, Nova Scotia, and that facility works hand-in-hand with their facility in Charlottetown and uh, will be upgraded as part of this uh, this whole process. So it's good news for both um, both those sectors in uh, in Nova Scotia and PEI, and the other thing that I found really interesting about this story, as as it kind of evolved, that uh, this is a company that was formed in PEI fifty years ago, David, and it was it was formed by Regis Duffy, who's uh, very well known 
um, uh, at least on the island, for really uh, building um, the biosciences sector. He was the dean of science, I believe, at UPEI, and he was looking to create some uh, work opportunities for his students in the summer. And he started a lab in the basement of St. Dunstan's University to do chemical bio uh, agents. And uh, 50 years later, the company has 550 employees uh, in its facilities in Charlottetown and in Windsor. And this announcement will add another 125 to that number. So it's a very interesting uh, story. Uh, and by the way, there was a there was a bio uh, written um, about uh, uh, Regis uh, this past year that was just put out, and um, I believe it was called the uh, the the, uh, the chemicals of in- of innovation, the chemicals of in- innovation, and his his company originally was called uh, Chemicals Diagnostics, I believe. And, uh, you know, that that's another sort of interesting story that it could, you know, this kind of company could be created in this region. And it shows you, you know, it could come from anywhere, basically, these kinds of companies. Yeah. And it, the fact that it started with a connection to a university is another great story. And uh, the length of time, right, how that sort of idea started 50 years ago. And now look at the PEI biosciences cluster, what it's done in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, you know, starting with that route. But there's no doubt that BioVector is, is a fundamental asset. I think it's still the largest employer in the sector on PEI. Uh, and I think uh, I think the listeners are going to uh, learn a lot from your conversation. Yeah, and the other thing, just, a, a, you know, from a history point of view, uh, Regis Duffy was the first chair of the Bio uh, uh, Alliance in PEI. So he had a major impact and has had a major impact on the development of that sector, uh, uh, clearly uh, over over the years that he he was actively involved. So that's uh, that's another interesting side story. Um, yeah. So I think that uh, the, the the conversation really uh, is informative because it talks about you know uh, Oliver Technow, who himself is a, what I would call an international pharmaceutical executive, having uh, started his career, I believe, in Germany, worked in Europe, and in the United States. Uh, you can tell his excitement about what's going on uh, in, in his company in the future. And by the way, we know that the bio alliance sector in PEI uh, currently, I think, employs about 2,500 employees. These are well-paying jobs, by the way, very well-paying jobs, and creates almost $400 million of export business for the island a year. Now, the new manufacturing facility uh, will produce I believe, 160 million doses of mRNA vaccines a year. Well, that's more than what is needed in Canada. That means that is an export business that will add to that total. And I, I'm, I'm assuming a lot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I have no idea what the wholesale price of that, but uh, 160 million doses times uh, you know, 10 bucks a dose or five bucks a dose, you're looking at almost a billion dollars in export revenue know, exactly. uh, across Canada around the world from little old PEI. So I'm sure Rory over at the Bio Alliance is tingly in, in terms of, uh, of the importance of this to growing that cluster. And uh, I think it's a really, really good thing. Yeah. And we, we kind of broke the story on this podcast, too, because you know, Rory told us it was coming. So yeah. I want I want us to take credit for that as well. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> oh, just a just a couple of other points before we get into the interview that I think is interesting is that uh, Oliver's the current chair of the board of the uh, 
Bioalliance uh, uh, Association. Uh, and he's also, they've been involved in the creation of uh, what is called the Canadian Alliance for Skills and Training in Life Science. I think this is really an important side story. It's known as CASEL. Um, and uh, this has uh, national implications for uh, talent uh, development for this sector. Uh, this is a story I think that we need to do uh, separately. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I know the, uh, the CEO of uh, Castle, uh, and I think that we should have her on the program to talk about this because almost every podcast we do end up talking about uh, labor labor requirements and the challenge finding those labor requirements. So I think that that will be a, another story that we can follow uh, follow on from, from that. But, you know, this has also been created on PEI. This, <laughs> this organization has been created on little PEI that will serve the entire biosciences uh, sector in Canada. So that's a, that's a, that's a real tribute to what, they're, what they've done over there. Small but mighty. Small but mighty is right. So, with that uh, short introduction, let's uh, let's have a listen to my conversation with Oliver Tech now. Oliver, welcome to the Insights Podcast. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's begin by finding out a little bit about your background. Uh, you've had a very interesting career um, before uh, joining BioVectra, and I guess 2015, you worked in both Europe and the United States. Uh, what has been your path to your present role? Yeah, uh, I find it always very difficult to talk about myself, Don, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe just to, to, to provide some perspective because I think it helps understanding what uh, uh, draws me or drew me to BioVectra and, and, and what, you know, gave me, you know, the conviction and, and, and to, to see this organization as a, as a true Canadian anchor company evolving. So, it goes back to, um, to, to Germany, as you said. I, I started in the pharmaceutical industry, um, really on the commercial side of things, in an organization that nowadays is known as Fresenius Medical Care. It's a very, very you know big organization these days. Back back then, when I when I worked there, much smaller, much more kind of you know focused on, on certain offerings. But I learned my my pharmaceutical marketing type of armamentarium um, at this organization and then had an opportunity to, to join uh, a Japanese pharmaceutical company, Eizai Pharmaceuticals, who were just on the verge of globalization and they were looking for uh, uh, individuals to join them on, on, on this journey, in particular in Europe, to build out the European um, uh, headquarters and European affiliates. And uh, I was actually um, very, very pleased to join them just because you, you got you to gotta look at this as an really almost like like one of those stories right i mean i think in the in the early days when i when i started there in 1997 i think there were three or four people right i mean very small organization and you were just kind of feeling lucky to even have a chair at your desk um, mm -hmm. but this this evolved very very quickly asi pharmaceuticals is one of the top three pharmaceutical companies in japan they're publicly traded so we were just at the forefront of building Building an organization that was uh, uh, then looking to um, to bring some 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 really very innovative uh, medicines into the European market. Uh, I, I worked on on a on a, a, a product that was um, uh, targeting the symptomatic treatment of Alzheimer's disease. And you know, once you get into these type of um, uh, uh, areas, in particular, kind of. Uh, um, 
dementia, Parkinson's disease. I mean, th those are very impactful, right? I mean, it gives you a, a true sense of how complicated patient journeys can be. And, you know, you, you develop a true relationship to what you do, basically almost like a purpose uh, uh, proposition. So I found this incredibly rewarding. And, and through the years, I, I, I launched this, this product uh, in Germany being responsible for the for the for the launch of it there got seconded to to um, a European role helping other European affiliates kind of do the same it was quite a quite a successful successful uh, uh, story for for the organization and and over the years we built out a, a, a quite an impressive franchise in in the area of neuroscience so um, very you know framing for me back in the days uh, quite insightful learned, learned uh, unbelievable lot and in particular, as I said, I think it started to really shape this my, my whole perspective on, you know, how important it is to understand what patients go through in their journeys and what can you do to contribute to making life better for them or, or providing hope. So that this whole aspect of caring for what we do uh, here at BioRector is probably grounded in in, in 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 this experience for me personally. So and then, um, yeah, over the years, I had an opportunity to work a little bit on global projects for this organization and. Um, an opportunity simply arose for, for, for me and the family to um, to relocate uh, to the United States in 2007. So ASA Pharmaceutical kind of uh, appointed me to their head of global marketing. And, and at this point, I, I had um, uh, I oversaw the entire um, uh, research pipeline from a commercial perspective for this organization, really kind of making sure that what we put out there was meaningful for patients uh, across the globe. We launched a number of products in that time over the coming years, and in particular in, in the area of, of uh, epilepsy and oncology. So rather impactful experiences, again, very connected to, to, to patients and patient representatives, really, uh, as, I, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, important to understand the, the journey and what it actually means for individuals to go through this. Um, and then, um, yeah, we did this for a number of years, uh, uh, helped the organization to, to build out another muscle, so to say, in, in the area of established products, which is kind of a portfolio of products that, you know, is nearing the end of its life cycle. And you're kind of trying to understand how you can, you know, work on these products commercially successfully and, uh, and, 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 and was uh, appointed for um, another uh, a very important step in my career. I was... Uh, uh, given the opportunity to be the, the, the president and general manager of the Canadian affiliate for this organization. And this is where my Canadian love story starts, I should say. <laughs> I came to um, came to uh, uh, Ontario uh, and helped building out this organization and its footprint in, in Canada. And, and you know, if, if you if you grow up in Europe um, with, with all the, the appreciation for a little bit more of kind of a social systems that exist over there. And then you go to the United States and live there for a while. And you get the appreciation for the, uh, for, for the conveniences and, for, and for some of these very important aspects of life there too. So it feels like Canada is almost like the perfect blend of both, right? So it almost feels like this is, this is for European who has a U.S. experience. Canada is a, is a match made in heaven. And, you know, in, in this, in this time, Building out this organization, there was obviously an opportunity to kind of interact with a couple of, of uh, stakeholders in the country to make sure that this this organization is understood. And I think that set the foundation for what then actually kind of you know transpired in my in my uh, next step when I when I joined BioVectra. Then and how did that happen? Um, you know, <clears throat> nothing really nothing really fancy to it. It was just an opportunity 
after a long career at ASI to kind of take another step in my in, in my my development and it felt extremely appealing to you know to to be offered working with an organization that um, was at, at a really pivotal pivotal stage in its its development right I mean it was at that time 45 years old the the, the existing management was just going through an exit and, and the then owners Malincrot pharmaceutical were looking for somebody with a background in, in Canadian business who can take a fresh fresh look at this organization and help them understand what to do with it, right? Because Marlincourt is a pharmaceutical company, not necessarily experts in, in, in CDMO work. And I thought this this is this is fascinating. I was really looking forward to it. And, you know, I remember vividly flying in uh, uh, in early July 2015 with literally never been to the to, to Prince Edward Island. I had no idea what, <laughs> what was coming my way. And again, uh, it was love on first sight. Um, fascinating organization with um, unbelievable uh, uh, teams, and um, yeah, and this is how I kind of uh, came to came to Biovectra in twenty fifteen. Um, really, if you if you want to if you want to look at the the commonality here, one is purposed on uh, whatever I, I do in my professional life. It, it has to have a meaning. I need to be personally invested into it. Um, and the second part is, uh, it feels like every, every, every step of my career was building something particular, either something entirely new that didn't exist before in these organizations that I was part of, or kind of um, reshaping something towards a, towards a new new aspect uh, on, on its journey. So, and here I am in my sixth year now, um, and yeah, enjoying enjoying this, what uh, I would actually label as the, the most personally satisfying time of my career. So BioVectra is known as a CDMO company. What exactly does that mean? And maybe you can provide a few examples of the work you currently do. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe just to kind of frame this a little bit, what, what does CDMO stand for? So CDMO in, in, in the pharmaceutical world stands for Contract Development and Manufacturing Organization. So um you got to look at, at organizations like BioVectra as trusted partners of all pharmaceutical and biotech companies. So we help to scale up and, and, and develop um, uh, what, what um, you know, what I would call the, the most precious uh, assets of pharmaceutical companies. So uh, pharmaceutical companies often, you know, do that themselves with kind of owned and, and, and dedicated manufacturing sites. But quite frankly, I mean, there, there's there's such a such a, a, a knowledge uh, creation that has happened over the last 20, 30 years in the CDMO world that pharmaceutical companies more and more turn to organizations like BioVectra and partner up and, and hand, hand over their assets to us to kind of really kind of scale them up and making sure that they can successfully launch products and manufacture products as, as they need it. So how does that all make sense though, right? I mean, I'm, it's quite fascinating. I'm, I'm Here's here's maybe a, a, an interesting way to look at what what CDMOs do. If if you if you kind of um, create an example saying like you know the the pharmaceutical companies are like if they were car makers, let, let's go down this route because I think that's relatable. If, if pharmaceutical companies were car makers, they would all be really good at doing their own cars, right? They would be very specialized. They know how to do. They know how the process works. They can build these cars very efficiently. Um, but they would struggle, quite frankly, to build a car from a different company, right? Because they, they have no real knowledge. They're not set up for this. Enters 
the CDMO world, right? So we are the ones who basically have very flexible platforms. We can actually switch manufacturing platforms relatively efficiently, which of course is is one of the the, the, the key aspects of um, the the entire CDMO business. So, for example, if if you know somebody comes to us and wants you know the uh, a, a product, an active product ingredient for a particular drug that is based on, on one technology. And the next day we have a client that comes from a different technology. A CDMO has the flexibility and the bandwidth to actually do this, whereas, you know, dedicated facilities probably don't. Right. Uh, likely very few people would have heard of uh, your company, BioVectra, before your recent announcement. And many people will be surprised that, that there's a company like yours located in Prince Edward Island, I'm pretty sure. The company was actually founded a long time ago in 1970. I was surprised to learn that, actually. Can you tell us how the company originated and how such a company ended up in PEI? Yeah. This, is, this is probably one of the, the, the most interesting aspects of BioVectra. So uh, to your point, this goes back to uh, over 50 years now, 1970. The back then dean of science at UPI, Regis Duffy, I think got, got a little, um, you know, uh, sad that all his students when they graduated wouldn't find work in the area. So, you know, and he just, I, I think if, when you talk to him, I, you realize he just simply, you know, had the ambition and decided that he wanted these young people to have an opportunity to, to work locally. So, and, and he has come, starts one of the, you know, I would say, most interesting cliche stories that I can think of. Um, we hear this all the time of these big biotech and technology companies that start out in the garage. Well, I can tell you that is exactly the story of BioVectra. So Regis Duffy founded this company or its predecessors in his garage. So and, and helping his chemistry graduates to work on, 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 on diagnostic chemicals in his garage. So uh, unbelievable entrepreneurial spirit, un unbelievable foresight, and I mean that answers why is it in PI? Because back in the back in the day, this this was the opportunity that that he saw. This is what what he he did, and you know from from there this this turns into a quite fascinating story. So over the years, over several iterations, as I said, it started with diagnostic chemicals and. Uh, a lot of growth, and, and, and as I understand, a, a number of difficult years, of course, too, over time. This organization, I think, kind of took really off early 2000s when uh, a new facility was built up at the, the Charlottetown Airport, and, and that put uh, this organization on a different trajectory. Um, and then again, over a couple of iterations, uh, this, this turns into what we today know when we look at look at BioVectra. Maybe to give some some context here, Don, and if you would go back to 2019, we were approximately a little over 300 people. Um, today, we are probably 565 employees. So even in the last two, two and a half years, an, an incredible uh, trajectory, an incredibly gross story for this organization. Um, and uh, yeah, if it all goes back to this... Uh, to this moment in time when uh, somebody with this this tremendous foresight and vision created a, a business in this community. I would like to think, Don, that this is um, this is why we have such strong ties here. 
this is why you know there is this this sense of pride in the organization. I, I, I usually, when I think about our, our our organization and its people, what comes to mind is relentless problem solving. I keep saying this whenever I have an opportunity, but I think it's really accurate, and it it's grounded in in the sense of belonging, the sense of community. So we we are here in Prince Edward Island in Nova Scotia. We are an Atlantic Canada organization. And we are out here to kind of, you know, show everyone that, you know, innovation and first class global technology can be done out here in the region. And, and as I said, I, f- I feel it goes back to our origins. It's strongly connected to who we are, where we are and how we operate and the adversity the organization had to overcome over the years and decades. And obviously um, with the, the recent announcement and, and, you know, putting us uh, uh, clearer on, on, on the Canadian map. This is this is a very you know different trajectory we're on, but make no mistake. Um, I mean, globally, uh, just to again to frame this properly for for everyone listening to this to this podcast, um, Biovectra and, and particular technology that that we stand for, which is based in microbial fermentation, we are I'd like to think one of the top five companies in the world doing it. It is it is truly a value proposition of of global dimensions that we that we stand for, and um, a lot of conversation over the last you know couple of years has uh, uh, centered around the idea of the importance of having anchor companies in Canada. Um, if if BioVectra with its you know uh, size, scale, and and global relevance. Uh, is not considered a, a true Canadian anchor company, then then I have a hard time making making sense of that definition. So we we consider ourselves um, a, a key part of the domestic ecosystem in biomanufacturing, and um, and as such, certainly uh, an anchor company for this sector. Uh, yeah, and it's my understanding that the company is privately held now. Recently underwent a change of ownership, I guess, in late twenty nineteen. Can you tell us a little bit about the change of ownership and what, if any, impact it will have on your future? Yeah, um, it, it is. Yeah, it's, it, it is an interesting aspect of our recent journey. Obviously, as, as I as I mentioned, on the the company was uh, was you know originally privately held, and then I, um, I think in two thousand and fourteen it, it was um, sold to Questcore Pharmaceuticals. Um, which uh, you know uh, uh, acquired Biovectra in, in particular from a from a supply chain uh, security standpoint, but the company kind of continued to operate relatively independent, so no real impact. And then Malincourt Pharmaceutical actually acquired Questcore, and with that acquisition, Biovectra became part of um, uh, Malincourt Pharmaceuticals. Um, this is this is where when when I joined uh, uh, this this exciting journey, and you know there every every kind of construct has its time, I would like to think. Back in the day, we were just on a growth trajectory and having a pharmaceutical company kind of attached to us was was actually quite beneficial for us. We made a, a, a number of high-profile investments during that time. But at some point, you kind of also realize that growth is a little bit limited if you're just one part of many, right? I mean, the, the, the single biggest kind of inhibitor of continued um, uh, evolvement for Biovectra at this point was clearly... Uh, not not being the the center part of of focus, not being the one asset or the one organization that that really you know stands in the middle of of everything. So a, a process was put in place, and, and we got acquired by uh, HIG Capital. They they are headquartered down in Miami, in Florida, 
and and it's 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 really a fascinating uh, kind of insight so when when this all happened um obviously we, we learned about this organization and frankly i don't have much of an experience of, of operating in the the private equity world prior to this to this uh, uh, uh transaction and you know somebody told us well hrg capital is, is a really successful mid-sized uh, private equity company invested in more than uh, far more than 100 portfolio companies um, overseeing assets of, of more than 40 million 40 billion dollars so my definition of mid-size obviously was a little too um uh, uh, small here but um that is just uh, maybe a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek side note so what has happened i mean quite frankly don you know for for pretty much our employees i would say nothing right i mean it, it's kind of one of those things everybody is getting very nervous oh you get acquired by by somebody oh my god and and what is changing well the truth is i mean they they acquired us with a clear belief in the management team and the strategy and the potential of this organization so if if anything that i would say that has happened is that focus has helped us tremendously just to kind of walk the path that we're walking over the last two and a half years and and we have been incredibly successful since the beginning of this this partnership so if if anything you know it it has it has unleashed and uncorked the potential of this organization to be you know really a kind of short decision processes you you are very much in, in the focus of attention, which is something that I, I value a lot. Um, what is important to understand though, one of the, the big misperceptions or misconceptions here is private equity is not a bank, right? I mean, it's kind of a fascinating conversation, even when you talk about this, this big investment that um, uh, the, the, the government of Canada recently announced into us, you know, private equity is not a bank that kind of writes check for its organization. So it, it, in the end, we have to be able to generate the, the 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 means to be able to kind of you know bring these investments to life and and that is is really a testament to the strengths of the organization because if you think what what has been announced so and and you do the math obviously the the, the balance of the investment has to come from biovectra so what does it mean for biovectra it means that we're extremely well positioned for success having a private equity partner um you know is that something that um, you know everybody kind of sees through in its opportunity? No, I, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of misperceptions. As I said, we feel very strongly about the benefit of this this collaboration and partnership. And clearly, if you look at the last two and a half years, the way this organization is is performing, clearly there's something going really well. If the uh, pandemic has taught us anything, Oliver, it, it is the need to repatriate critical supply manufacturing, such as medicines. So the announcement is really big news, not only for Canada, but obviously for the region. Can you tell us how this deal came about? <laughs> where, to, where to begin? Um, so I think without going into too many details, uh, this we have been in ongoing conversations on many levels with uh, a, a, a lot of... Um, uh, parts of the federal and provincial governments to help explain the importance of a healthy, vibrant bioscience, life sciences, or biomanufacturing sector for this matter for a long, long time. Don. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I want to believe that we have been on this particular topic for at least two or three years, kind of uh, as, as we realized that you know, there's there's uh, uh, there's a need to augment our domestic footprint in order to remain relevant to begin with in in a very competitive global marketplace here. So, 
Um, of course, little did we know that we would run into a global pandemic of this scale. Um, but it has done one thing. It from, uh, significantly accelerated the conversations. And, and you know what I really feel in, o- over those months is it was a, it was a very healthy partnership driven dialogue just to kind of educate, you know, the other side on the needs and helping to understand what, what could actually make a difference for, for Canada when we are facing, you know, the inevitable, uh, I'm sorry if, to have to say that, that there will be another health crisis. There will be something like COVID-29, 35. And in order to be better prepared, so what would it take? And, and from there, long conversations became very, you know, focused on, you know, what is it, where are the gaps? Uh, uh, what I thought a very intelligent consultation process took place across the country, talking to key stakeholders and not only from, from industry, but also academia, um, just to understand, okay, so what is it that would make a difference? And I think out of this, the, the whole idea of a biomanufacturing strategy was born. And if you look at this this biomanufacturing strategy, clearly, I mean, the first thing that you realize there was a massive gap, right? I mean, you know, we, we've all experienced this, we lived it um, in, in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, the, the, only, the only path for getting vaccines for the, for the population was a procurement strategy. And that was a function of you know, the lack of available domestic manufacturing, lack of available domestic pharmaceutical companies being research-wise invested into this in Canada. So, you know, procurement, procurement was the way out. And quite frankly, it, it, it worked really well. I mean, if you look at the, the global data nowadays, I think Canada has has done uh, uh, really well in, 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 in this context. So, and however, you know, everybody was clear this this cannot be the, the future strategy forever. You, you need to create... It uh, gives a, a healthy, healthy level of independence from global supply chains. I mean, if this, this is the one, I mean, there's two major insights from this pandemic, Don. One clearly is, you know, in order to be better prepared next time, you have to have systems in place, beginning with global uh, supply chains, but also domestic capacity, just to put you on a different trajectory. Uh, there's no way out. And the assessment was clear. Canada isn't doing particularly well, so let's change it. And, you know, we are only one part of many announcements in, in the last one and a half years. So I, I would like to think that we are on a, on a very, very good trajectory to that extent. The other one is talent. It's actually the almost underrated part of this this pandemic. I mean, people have, you know, taken this opportunity to rethink what matters to them in life, right? And all of a sudden we see a lot of folks start to kind of devalue, you know, the professional life and, and, and put, you know, uh, quality of life more on the focus and and you know that that created a, a fascinating new dynamic in in the broader talent and skills area not only in Canada but 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 truly global but anyhow so yeah and and here was basically a very good match you know you have an organization that has uh, has a fantastic reputation in the market Bivectra is is in the global markets for 50 plus years as I, as I uh, uh, as I said earlier um, the, the Canada uh, Canadian government was obviously being being tasked to, to in investing taxpayers' dollars into a solid and, and reliable source that actually creates benefits for Canadians, right? So wonderful opportunity for these two, two sides come together. And over the last few months, we have exchanged concepts and, and went through a very rigorous due diligence, obviously, uh, uh, by the Canadian government to make sure that, you know, the plans are not only really solid, but the organization is is, is in uh, uh, um, the, the right mindset and shape and has the right systems in place, can ensure the quality. And, um, you know, we in the end come, came to an agreement and this deal was announced. 
Yeah, so let's just talk about that uh, announcement. Um, you're going to be expanding into the manufacture of mRNA vaccines. Um, obviously, this is a public-private investment of nearly $80 million, as I understand it, um, mm-hmm. to see the creation of a state-of-art vaccine facility. I guess that's going to be built in PEI, and uh, and your facilities in uh, in Windsor, Nova Scotia, will be upgraded. Can you just talk about the division of the investment between both facilities and maybe the number of jobs that will be created as a result of this announcement in both provinces? Yeah, um, let's kind of um, uh, uh, frame this a little bit just to kind of provide context here. So, you know, when when you look at an organization like BioVectra that has facilities in, in, in several provinces, so we are not necessarily thinking about this in a provincial definition, right? I mean, we for us, we have locations, and between these locations, a constant flow of work, constant exchange of capabilities, uh, certain processes literally kind of build on each other as they're being performed in our sites on, on in Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia. So uh, as much as I have full understanding that everybody is very interested to kind of get this this, this delineation between the provinces, for, for us as an organization, it doesn't really mean that much. You right. know, we, we, we build our uh, space, capability, capacity, you know, where, where it fits and where it makes the most sense from a, from a broader kind of, you know, processing flow perspective. But anyways, just, just to kind of, you know, uh, provide that, that perspective. So the, the way this will play out, and, and you mentioned it, Don, uh, the majority of uh, the actual construction work associated with that investment will happen in our facility in Prince Edward Island. And, you know, the, the reality is we, we have a very supportive um, uh, provincial government. We do have, obviously, a significant footprint in, in the province in Charlottetown. That makes kind of this expansion work much more efficient for us. You know, we can, we can use existing utility structures. We have an existing footprint. As I said, we, we do have the, the majority of our employee base in this province, so I mean, there's a number of factors that kind of led to 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 um, the decision to 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 build it this way. But it's, it also should be noted there's there's an important component in Nova Scotia and our facility happened there. We, we just as we speak, we're building out a, another cutting edge, uh, globally leading manufacturing technology. We are using uh, um, single use facility capabilities, or we're building single use facility capabilities in, in, in our site in Windsor, which then will feed into the broader mRNA manufacturing stream. So that all goes to say on that um, this is something that kind of is located in our various facilities and and the yep. way this plays out, we do have a heavy, heavy focus of what we call the biologic side of our business in Nova Scotia. The small molecule side is mostly represented in in, in, in Charlottetown. However, the base of all that we do is, uh, I mentioned it before, is the, the whole concept of microbial fermentation. And so we kind of build out this facility. It's an expansion of our existing footprint in Charlottetown. What does it mean in terms of, of jobs? So that, that's what I mentioned when I said there's this, this benefit for Canada, the benefit for Canadians, which you as an organization, when uh, an investment like this is being made into you, Obviously, there. This is not free money, right? I mean, that's very important to understand. I, I find it always fascinating. It's it's mind bending that there's an there there's an, an even a, a a thought that this is free money. It is not free. I mean, that that money comes with you know obligations. It comes with a lot of scrutiny. As I said, it's a very very you know uh, uh, intense due diligence process that you go through as the recipient of this. And it's also very important to understand that you know the majority of that you have to pay back. 
So it's not that this is this is literally just a check road for a private sector company, and then you know let's see what happens. That's really not the case. So um, important uh, on on these benefits is we we commit to a number of important things. It's it's the jobs. I mean, always you know one of those metrics that everybody can relate to pretty easily. Um, as I said, we are um, around five hundred and fifty. Uh, uh, employees at BioVectra. With this expansion, um, we will uh, add at least another 125. Uh, so but by the end of it, just by, by, by sheer math, it's going to be 675 uh, uh, people working at this organization. But I kind of frankly, you know, this, this is kind of almost like a snapshot because we continue to grow in other parts of our organization too. So, but again, you define these metrics, you, you, you sign up for these metrics, uh, and, and so this this is this is one one aspect that I think is is important for for Atlantic Canada. The other one is that we continue our anyways quite intense part of uh, academic collaborations and bringing students to the into the organization, giving them an opportunity to work in in this field with uh, a leading organization in Canada. The the really cool part of all of this done is that we're doing it's not only that we're building this mRNA capability, but we're doing something that is almost like a first for Canada. So we're adding what is called the fill and finish capability, which is, is, is another major part of the, the Charlottetown uh, um, construction. So what it actually does, we, we might be the first company in Canada that can go end to end, so all the way from small scale in the lab to actually fill and finish active product ingredient in our facilities in, in Atlantic Canada. And, and, and quite frankly, that, that gives us, again, a sense of purpose, but we're also quite proud of this. Because um, it actually means that that we can literally in in a in a time of of, of need in a time when, when there's we have to step up and uh, have to fight a, a, another uh, health crisis we, we can actually uh, bring a, a very very meaningful contribution to Canada right out of the Atlantic. Well, let's just talk a little bit more about the new manufacturing facility. When will it be operational? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of milestones done that, that are important. I mean, when you build a facility, you, you have the construction aspect of it, but then you go through qualification validation and then, you know, regulatory authorities have to literally give you the blessing, right? So there's, there's a, a number of, number of steps that need to be taken, but let's focus on what we have immediate control over. So <laughs> did I just say that? Because we don't have immediate control over mother nature. So the most important part of when we can actually break ground is the fact when the winter allows us to do so. So um, we expect this to be in April next year. And uh, our overall plan kind of speaks to the to the effect of uh, us being very much operational within 16 to 18 months after we break ground. So this is this is quite an ambitious timeline. So we, we, we believe that this will all be up and running uh, by by mid twenty three, which I mean, if you think about this, is is a uh, is a bold statement to make. But the, the thing that kind of gives gives me the confidence that we can deliver against this on is uh, we've done this before. We are anything but newcomers to the idea of creating additional uh, additional capacity. Um, we've uh, we've just uh, recently completed that uh, uh, another major expansion in Charlottetown. And if you look at Windsor, for example, that that's a that's a project that you know has uh, gone on since 2017, and we invested more than 110 million dollars in this project. So, I mean, those are significant projects, and and that gives me and and yeah. looking at where they stand nowadays gives me the full confidence that we will be able to deliver against them. Uh, can you provide our listeners with some understanding of what your manufacturing capacity will be for vaccines once the manufacturing facility is completed? 
Yeah, I, I, I guess we can we can frame it properly. So no vaccine is like the other, right? I mean, it depends on the process. It depends on, on on yields. And but I mean, if you if you were to take um, uh, the, the Pfizer or BioNTech, which I would like to call it, uh, having, having been born in Germany and being proud of this company, um, or the other. Um, the Moderna uh, um, vaccine, we, we could probably do the equivalent of 160 million doses a year. Um, so that would be the API part of it. And then, you know, I mentioned the fill finish capacity, which kind of, you know, puts the API in a, in, in, in a drug formulated state. Um, that's another 77 or million doses a year that we can actually do on site in our facility when, when it's fully operational. So you do the math, right? I mean, we have 35 plus million Canadians. So um, we could probably within a year single-handedly kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, make sure that the demand for Canada has been taken care of if you were the ones to produce a vaccine in the future. Plus be an export opportunity obviously you know what actually it's i'm I'm glad you mentioned this now it's it's you know the part of the commitment is i mean of course the the primary type of motivation is to ensure we are in better better shape going forward from a domestic perspective but look what are we learning right now is you know a we got to get a a decent uh to a to a real number of vaccinations across the the globe and and what stands in the way is the fact that a lot of countries currently don't have vaccines so building access capacity that then can be used to you know, supply vaccines to countries that either don't have the capacity or don't have the financial means, I believe is a critical component in a better management of future health crises. Uh, just to switch topics a little bit, you are currently the chair of the board of the PEI Bio Alliance. Uh, we actually featured the Bio Alliance in a recent uh, podcast, had Rory Francis on as our guest. That's a really good uh, example of a successful economic cluster. It's one of the reasons why we featured it. It shows that even small communities like PEI can be incredibly successful if they have a vision and a strategy, I guess. The announcement to manufacture vaccines will clearly boost this uh, cluster further, but it will also stress labor requirements. What are your strategies to recruit people in general to PEI Nova Scotia and specifically for your expansion? Yeah. Look, Don, this this is probably the single most important aspect we have to all come together and figure out. So number one, I I mentioned this uh, earlier, the whole change in quality of life, vis-a-vis professional life and the importance of such for for people these days is, is one aspect. But also, make no mistake, I mean... The, I, the concept that Canada is pursuing of securing domestic capacity, guess what? A lot of countries are doing this. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So talent that is, is, is experienced to bring these concepts to life are at a total premium out there, right? So there's a, there's a, a, a real stiff competition for talent across the globe. So in order to attract these individuals to Canada, and, and we all know how important immigration is for, for, our, uh, for our domestic economy. In order to, to attract these, these highly skilled individuals to this country, a lot of things have to be put in place. You have to have very seamless immigration systems in place. You have to be competitive in terms of you know, the, 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 the packages you offer. Uh, quality of life comes clearly into play, which I consider, of course, one of the major advantages of Atlantic Canada. But this is this is only one aspect of finding the talent. And then, you know, the other 
and and you know you mentioned the the PI bio alliance. I, I'd like to and, and I, I remember uh, hearing Rory speaking about this in in your podcast. The we have taken the development and creation and re and upskilling of talent into our own hands in in Atlantic Canada and. Uh, it's, it's uh, the Canadian Alliance for Skills and Training and Life Sciences, also known as CASEL, which is currently being managed out of the, the, the PI Bio Alliance. Don, we'll, we'll, I'd like to be bold here. We'll, we'll change the way we, 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 we source talent for bioscience and life sciences in, 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 in Canada. Um, so we, we struck an exclusive agreement with um, uh, uh, an organization in, in Dublin called NIBRT, NIBRT, National Institute of Bioprocessing Research and Training. Um, and anybody who is in, in this business knows the story of Dublin, Ireland, right? A country that 15, 20 years ago was almost bankrupt, made a bold decision to invest into biomanufacturing as their future strategy. And this is nowadays probably one of the, the most vibrant uh, and, and relevant sectors and clusters in the world. So, and, and Nybert is, is right in the middle of it. Their training is world-class. It's the gold standard uh, there is, and, and it's, it's, it's live training and facilities. It's online training. It's, it's the whole uh, uh, component of getting people qualified for this, for this line of work. And Castle has struck a, a Canadian exclusive agreement with Nybert to be there you know, Canadian exclusive um, uh, provider of this training. So obviously that means, in other words, anyone that is going through uh, necessary training in the sector will, you know, eventually go through CASEL and experience the NIBR training. We will, we're planning to have training facilities in PEI in the not so distant future. So you, you get the idea, right? I mean, you basically have a component of, of online training, you have a component of live training, a lot of that will happening in the Atlantics. And we obviously hope that people who come and do their training with us first online virtually, but then live on site will, you know, be attracted to the area and and, and then obviously feed into the, the talent needs we have. But, you know, we, we it doesn't stop there. The, the other component that is critically important is academics, right? Look, and it's probably not a very popular way to, to look at it, but I personally believe that, you know, that one of the fundamental challenges in, 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 in building meaningful talent is, is, is often in a misalignment between what actually industry needs and what academic teaches, right? So, I mean, kids that actually come and graduate from, from universities are not necessarily, you know, business ready. So you, you will have to work collaboratively and change a curriculum, augment curriculum, try to get, gain an understanding of, you know, what is it that makes kids successful in, in business, right? Besides the academic foundation. So enters Castle again, it's, it's, there's an academic arm that is currently uh, uh, bringing four uh, schools from the region together. And we're obviously aiming to kind of get additional uh, supporters in, which will, you know, provide a, a, a curriculum that has been built between industry and academia in this sector so that kids can graduate and then being uh, uh, meaningful contributors in, the, in, in, in this sector right away, which I think if you think about this, it brings reskilling. Reskilling is another component. You have upskilling through the NIBRT component and you have the, the academic path all under the, you know, the, the castle um, uh, uh, kind of umbrella, a, a huge component to create this talent. And, and, you know, just to give some confidence here too, BioVectra has hired um, approximately 150 new employees throughout the pandemic and we have onboarded them successfully. So we, we know a thing or two of about how to kind of find talent and get, get people into the organization. We've worked very successfully with uh, the provincial governments on immigration strategies. So 
that's the next one. This is this is how how we see this all happening. But I also want to kind of raise the finger and saying, you know, not everything is sunshine and rainbows. So we have um, a couple of, of limitations to overcome too, right? I mean, if, if you are a world class talent coming from another country, and you know, the first thing I have to kind of break news to you is that you have to wait several years to get access to a GP or a family doctor. That's just not ideal. Right. And then you have housing situations with low inventories and rising prices, which kind of gives me concerns about, you know, losing some of the quality of life and, and, and overall economic advantages in the region. Look, I mean, there's there's a lot of work to do, but, you know, the components are in place to, to source talent from across the country, across the world to continue to build out the importance of this sector in Atlantic Canada. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Castle. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with that initiative. Uh, it, it shows... Um, it shows the power of the cluster that has been developed in PEI because this is, this is actually a potentially a national play um, to create, uh, you know, uh, a talent pool for uh, this sector. So it's another great example of um, uh, innovation happening uh, in PEI. So thanks for mentioning that. It's a, uh, and a friend of mine, Penny, is running that. So I'm happy to be that as well. extremely lucky to have her in this position. Let me let me yeah, say this here publicly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just a couple of other questions and uh, before we finish. Uh, you were appointed by the uh, Government of Canada to the Health Bioscience Strategy Economic Table. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> can you just tell us a little bit about the work of this group and how it has or will impact the bioscience sector in Atlantic Canada in the future? Yeah. Look, this is, this is actually a really, really good point. So it's almost like bringing this all together. So where, does this, where did this all start? This whole idea about castle and talent and, and you know, the assessment of where the, the, the bioscience domestic ecosystem will, will go. So enters the, the health and bioscience economic strategy table and to your point that's a mouthful so that's why we call that h best that kind of was a little easier for us to, you know <laughs> who were a part of this group so this was this was literally created i think in 2017 by the, the federal government under you know the 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 auspice of um uh um the, the innovation science and economic development ministry minister baines back in the days and the idea behind was to identify six areas six um, uh, uh, kind of industries that uh, we, we, uh, Canada felt we have a, have a really good foundation. We, we should be, you know, world leading in this. But what is missing? What do we need to do in order to kind of capture this this global leadership position? And, and one of these tables was the Health and Bioscience Economic Strategy Table. And so uh, it was a new model for collaboration between industry and, and government and other stakeholders. Most, mo most um, remarkably, it was actually industry-led, right? I mean, it's uh, quite an interesting concept just to kind of say, look, we, we, we as a government, we understand we have a role to play, but we also kind of acknowledge the fact that without, you know, a, a leading voice from, from the private sector, you know, government ideas might not really be, you know, uh, really fully focused and, and, and targeted uh, towards the right objectives here. So this was an industry-led uh, uh, initiative, six tables in total, 15 members each. So there was 90 industry leaders from across Canada that kind of worked on these strategies and concepts. And the 15 folks in the bioscience, health and bioscience table, uh, yeah, the incredibly 
incredibly talented people. I mean, what a privilege to, to learn and, and work with work with this group and come forward with ideas on, on, on what to do and how to make Canada more competitive in, in this space. And, you know, a couple of recommendations that came in. Uh, some of them are think I, I would like to kind of think are, are, are already implemented today, but truly the, the one that kind of captured my attention immediately was um, uh, uh, the, the strategic imperative of develop and attract talent. Guess here we go again, right? And fascinatingly enough, across all six tables, Don, this this very same metric was identified. So there was a clear was a moment of reckoning amongst these ninety industry leaders that you know all great. I mean, let's be ambitious, let's be bold, put our targets for Canada and, and where we can lead by twenty twenty five and twenty thirty. This is all great, but how do you do it? Right? Where do the people come from to actually provide the leadership, do the work, and, and get this all kind of implemented the way we are envisioning this? So I, I had the, the the ultimate pleasure to be part of this this, this sub team for for skills and talent. And you know, after this was all done in 2018, the, the thought kept spinning in my mind. So how how we are doing this? Looking at my my company in 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 the Atlantics, you know, an area that that traditionally kind of you know struggles to to have this this depth of of talent for all kinds of jobs uh, uh, out there at our disposal. What can we do to change this? And, you know, this this is, this is I think, I'd like to kind of, you know, uh, think about this in a way that this probably was the, the, the moment where Castle in the end was born in conversations with Rory and, and, and others to kind of see, look, we have an opportunity to take matters in our own hand. We need to lead. We feel we have the systems in place. We have the bio lines that has shown time and time again that they can bring ideas to life. And, um, you know, with a great collaboration with the provincial government and, and, and also with um, the regional schools that we're working with, like to mention Holland College, UPI, University du Monton, and um, Acadia University in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, so those four schools helping us doing it. And, you know, that's how it all comes together, Don. So basically, based on this this uh, federal initiative, we, we dove into the idea of talent based on the output. One final question. I just want you to, you know, tell us about your optimism uh, uh, for the future of manufacturing medicines in Canada. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Um, probably going back to what we touched upon earlier a little bit. So he here we are in 2021, it's December, and soon to be 2022. We're still going through a major disruption in global supply chains. Well, we all see it, depending on where we live, depending on where we go, it just doesn't look the same, right? I mean, there's empty, empty shelves, you know, certain goods are almost impossible to come by, certain raw materials have quadrupled in price, and, and you realize the, I mean, almost like the handcuffs you're in, running a business that is dependent on, on global supply chain. So, so, you know, the optimism on, on this scenario, and, and also the talent shortages and talent needs we have, the optimism I have is done. We have all the solutions and all the key ingredients in Canada, in particular Atlantic Canada, to turn this into a better story. They're all there. We have fantastic research. We have first-class schools. We have a highly talented workforce. We have a dedicated, you know, government that stays out of the way, that starts to understand that regulation should enable and not hinder. So now it's on us to lead. Right. So we need to kind of, you know, take matters in our own and collaborate the hell out of this situation, making sure that we move forward, find these solutions. And you know what? 
look at what what is all out there. I mean, there's there's I mean, mind-bending technologies out there in Canada built over the last few years, world-class, leading. Um, we can do it. So my my optimism is I, we have everything in place. It all it comes down to put it to work, line it up properly, and build your own success stories. And quite frankly, Don, the other thing is 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 also we need to be a little bit more kind of bold in the way we operate, the targets we set. I mean, look, we, we are in a global competition, not as BioVectra, but as a country, there's there's global marketplaces. And by, you know, you, you've got to set ambitious targets in order to kind of, you know, succeed in, in, in these situations. And I think we can do a better job at this. We need to kind of put away with limiting lim- limiting constraints and, you know, as, as I as I mentioned a few minutes ago, access to first class healthcare, education, daycare, uh, housing. I mean, the, the the list is endless. This is these needs things need to change. We need to address them. But my optimism is we have the right people, we're in the right place, and we have proven time and time again that we can you know create um, creative solutions for complex challenges and see them through. Well, Oliver, I really want to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast. As you probably know, David and I started this podcast to do exactly this kind of interview to highlight the the wonderful things that are happening, a little unknown to many people, and to demonstrate that Atlantic Canada has a capability that is um, as good as anywhere else. I think your company is demonstrating that, BioVector's uh, recent announcement about producing vaccines, I think will take many people by surprise. The fact that we have uh, a company of your experience and uh, depth to be able to do that should give everybody confidence that Atlantic Canada is going to be just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks, Don, and Dave for having me. Uh, it's it's fun to talk about this, and I hope it it raises awareness of what is possible here. And look, I I hope to hear many podcasts of many success stories in the future of uh, Canada and Atlantic Canadian organizations that you know impress on the global marketplaces and and lead. So thank you for that. Well, con- continued success. Thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to the latest episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network. Mark Legere and Tyler McLean helped produce this episode. You can subscribe to the show by searching for Huddle Insights on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please give the show a rating and a review. Don and David will be back again next week.